have to make eye contact and smile with everybody real quick and get all the faces and where everybody is. I can feel better. Hi. Okay. So, what I wanted to start with was if we could all read together the passage of scripture that we're using as our passage this weekend. So let's all stand and read it together. And I want to set the stage for you. Oh, it's on your folder. John 17, 20 through 23. And the reason, one of the reasons why this scripture is so powerful is it's the last thing recorded in John before Jesus is arrested. He's just had his three years of, of ministering and spreading the good news, and he is about to be arrested and crucified. And this is the last thing recorded. He first prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples. Then he prays for us, everyone who will come to believe in me through this message. And so let's see what he thought was so important to pray for right before he died for us. So let's read it together. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know that you sent me and have to love them even as you have loved me. how much oneness is important. Like, it's he it's here in the scripture, and he wants to be one with us. Just like he's in the Father, he wants to be like that with us. And so we're, we're going to talk about being one with God tonight. And um, in this verse, intimacy with God comes first, and everything else flows from that intimacy. Our, when we are one with him, then the oneness with others can happen. And so that the world may know that we can bring that message out in living our lives. All that happens after we're one with him. So we're going to take that format throughout through this weekend. We're going to start tonight with oneness with God. Tomorrow, oneness with each other so that the world may know. And we're going to just kind of follow that pattern and let God show us what is so important about that. So um, I want to talk about three things tonight that will help position us to be one with God. And the first thing is to realize our place. Have you ever gone to like a wedding or gone somewhere where there's a signed seating and you just want to know where your place is? And, and, and you walk in, it's the first time you're in a building, in this building, and you're kind of like trying to figure out the room. And then when you find your seat, it's like, okay, this is my place. I can set my stuff down. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And that feeling, magnified much more, is what is our position in Christ? Being in Him. Like, picture God as this masked, a lion. 
Okay, he's this lion mascot, and we're going to get inside this mascot. And he's this amazing, okay, probably mascot suits are kind of stinky and weird, but imagine it's not, because inside God, we are safe, we're protected, we're surrounded by truth, filled with truth and love all at the same time. There's no definable point where we stop and he starts. We are in him and he is in us. How can you be any more one if you're fully in him and he's fully in you? We can't even really quite comprehend that. But that is what this verse talks about. And um, so when we, be, when we become saved, our place is in him. We're immediately in him. That's the truth. But as we grow and mature in our faith, we come to realize that that is our true place and position in Christ at all times in our life. Like, there might be, yes, we're saved and we're in him, but there might be a part of us that is kind of wandering around on the outskirts, alone, feeling rejected, abused, or downcast. And that part of us doesn't know that its rightful, true place is in God. My dad shared a, a story with me that really shows a good picture of this. He was working in Miami, Florida, and he was staying on the beach in Miami. That is where he was living for several months when he was working down there. He does like disaster cleanup and stuff. And he was so worried about money. He said that was the worst time of his life. But he was living in the most beautiful place, you know? And it's because he was so worried about money and all the bills that were coming and the work was sitting right there. He could see it, but because of all this paperwork didn't come through, he had to just sit and he had so many bills and he was so stressed out. That part of him was outside of God. It, it was not within that trust that says, God, you are going to take care of me. Oh, I'm just in you. Everything's going to turn out just fine. Thank you. And um, so we can have places like that in our lives where a part of us just is not in there. And um, so um, just for us to know that that's our rightful place. And um, in him we're safe, we're protected. And he protects us. It's not... If we're not in him, we might think we have to protect ourselves. and But then we just get hard. And the Bible says that we get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So we're sinning when we're not in him. And then we get hard. But our place, because we want to be protected. But our place is protection in him. And we get to stay soft on the inside while he protects us on the outside. And so that, I just want to talk about our rightful place. So, so that just really is one of the keys for oneness, knowing our place. Um, so when we're in him, we're inside truth. We're surrounded by truth. When we believe that truth, it's a part of who we are. And it is a protective barrier that protects us from the enemy's lies. So that when the enemy shoots an arrow or a lie that's contrary.
referring to that truth wall, it can bounce off because we are surrounded by truth. And um, <clears throat> the other thing I was thinking about being in him, it's like he's so big and strong and mighty. I kind of, for a second, was like, are we just kind of like, ooh, inside him, like kind of limp and, you know, he's doing all this stuff and we're just kind of like, mm, inside. But he's like, no, we have an active role to play. We have armor to wear. You know, he's in us, we're in him, and we've got this armor and the shield and the sword. We're like walking around in our Jesus suit, and he's <laughs> filling us up inside. And we've got this life to live with him. It's not like this, we're just kind of wasting away, doing nothing inside of him. It's exciting. Yeah. And I was thinking about the armor of God. And, you know, when we're in him, we're in all of that. So the truth, we're in truth. The righteousness, we're in him and we're just full of righteousness, salvation, the gospel. He is the gospel and we're just in it. And then the um, shield of faith which with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All the flaming arrows. He gives us the tools. He, he gives us that. And they can all be extinguished by the shield of faith. Faith in what? Faith in God and who he is. In what he says, being sure of maybe what we don't see and certain of what we hope for because of the truth we know and our faith is in there. And our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we see flesh and blood. I see Carrie. I see flesh and blood. I don't see with my physical eyes the heavenly realms. So it's easy to forget that my fight is not against flesh and blood. That my fight is against, you know, the, the devil and his schemes. And so that's good to think about, too, that we've got this armor and that it's, it's, it, we're fighting the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The other thing we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word, word of God. And um, I like a sword because, well, my son plays with swords all the time, so I'm very uh, familiar with sword play. Fake <laughs> <laughs> swords, but you know, there's at least four or five around the house every day. Um, but anyway, so it it um, a sword is offensive and it's defensive. And with it, we can attack the enemy, and we can defend the enemy with the word, the words of God, the words of truth. I'm going to talk about that more later. But I just love that. Okay, so so what's your mental picture right now, guys? Sword. Okay, we're inside this God suit. We have a sword. He's completely filling every part of our being. We're completely in him, and we have this armor, and we're living this life. Okay, so that's step one. What's our place? That's our place in him. Um, the second thing is, oh, so excited about this. It is um, listening to God's voice and silencing the enemy's voice. And to listen to God's voice means to welcome it, to entertain it, 
to be attentive to, to concentrate on, to take advice from, to obey, to accept. So we want to do those things with God's voice and silence the enemy's voice. And, um, you know, in our lives, day to day, a million, a million thoughts just come into our minds. And, um, and when those thoughts come, I want us to ask ourselves, who's speaking? And I got this off um, Chloe's Facebook page and adapted it a little bit, and I thought it was so good to help explain this point. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's speaking. Sometimes we, we think it's us. If the enemy says something, we might take ownership of it, even though it's this horrible thought, and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that. When is the enemy just saying that, and you just need to say, no, be silent? Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So... But anyway, God, when God speaks to you, this is good. Don't feel like you have to write it all down because I wrote it on your hand. When he speaks to you, his voice makes you feel calm. Satan's makes you feel obsessed. His voice makes you feel comforted. Satan's worried. God's voice encouraged. Satan's discouraged. God's voice you feel enlightened. Satan's voice, you feel confused. God's voice, you feel reassured. Satan's voice, you feel frightened or intimidated. So you start to think about this, like how do you feel when you hear something that comes in your mind? God's voice makes you feel led. Satan's voice makes you feel pushed. God's voice makes you feel still. Satan's voice makes you feel rushed. God's voice makes you feel love towards others. Satan's voice makes you feel hate towards others. God's voice makes you feel convicted. Satan's voice makes you feel condemned. So this is part of maturity, you guys, in our faith. It says in um, Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So it's a mark of maturity that we, by constant use, what does that mean? That we're practicing it and we're doing it a lot, constant even. Constant use and um, that we're distinguishing good from evil and using that discernment and that's a sign of maturity growing that. We want to be mature Christians, right? Yes. And um, the other verse that I think is really good for this is 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. And it says, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when you think a thought, you can ask yourself, is the spirit behind this thought saying, Jesus be cursed, or Jesus is Lord? Oh, that's so good. So what is the, the thought behind what is spoken? Um, and then, so, what, so this point is listen to God's voice and silence the enemy's voice. And I just want to say that Satan is not a friend that we should hear him out. 
He is not a friend that we should hear him out. As women, we can be really good listeners, and we can be really compassionate and kind of like hear this, their side of the story, and you can, and, and that is not the case with him. When we've identified, okay, that makes me feel like um, hate, or that makes me feel really frightened, we say, be silent, we cut it off, so let's practice that. Everyone on the count of three, be silent. One, two, three, be, be silent. silent. Try it again. You're not actually all that great of a person. Be silent. Who do you think you are anyway? Be silent. That person is so annoying. You should just not be their friend. Be silent. I'm stressed. You're be so stressed. <laughs> partake of those obsessed feelings or those confused or rushed feelings, we're partaking of that fruit and decay is set in motion. Now what did Satan say to her after she took the fruit? See, you're not dead. God said, you're, gonna, you're not dead. And um, it can appear that way in our lives too. We're not dead at, right at first. But the case end is death, and it's subtle at first. But because it's set in motion, it, death will happen. And um, I don't have a reference for this, but it talks about in the Old Testament, and then again in the New, that when we grow in Christ, we grow line upon line, precept upon precept. It's subtle. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And that's how decay is too. That's how we fall too. Line upon line. Just a little thing after a little thing. And so it's so important that we hear God's voice. We know what his voice sounds like. And we recognize when it's the enemy's voice so that we can say, be silent. And then you can think of a verse. Think of scripture. You know, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, and, and, and quote that. Um, so, in
first session tonight, I just really felt like God wanted us to go right for the heart, right your heart, my heart, right to the heart. Um, and he brought this passage to mind. In Matthew 23, he, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he's telling them that they should be worried about the inside of their cup being clean. They were so consumed with the outside of their cup and their dish being clean. But Jesus reprimands them because inside was full of sin. It was full of self-indulgence and greed, the Bible says. And Jesus says, first, clean the inside of your cup. Then the outside will be clean. And so, you know, if, we, if we're focusing on matters like that are outside of the cup, like, you know, trying to fix this behavior or that, or getting into legalism and to-dos and... That's what the Pharisees did, right? They were under the law, and they just did the law. There was, in, there was nothing in their heart. There was nothing deep inside that was pure. And so Jesus just says, that's what's most important. When the inside is, is clean, then your outside will be. And so that's why we want to just open our hearts to him and start there tonight. So first two things. Then the third thing for um, oneness with God is learning the truth about what he's really like as our father. If we have a misconception of what he's like as a father, then we can't really be one with him because it's not him that we are understanding. And... Um, to learn what God is truly like as our Father and, um, is to uh, get to know what he's like, become well first, be enlightened to what he's like, realize, come to realize. And so that's what I want to do tonight. Um, in a little while, we're going to just let God clean us out, let, it, let him clean out any misconceptions about him as our Father that we may have. And... Um, and you have a loving Heavenly Father that wants to be one with you. And um, sometimes our experiences with our imperfect heaven, our imperfect earthly fathers can taint our view of our perfect Heavenly Father. And in no way do I want to disrespect any fathers because the ways that they succeed and do well as a father does the same thing, gives us a proper perspective of what God's like as a heavenly father. For example, my dad is really creative and he has lots of ideas. He's always coming up with new ideas. He's really creative. And so for me, it's really easy for me to think about God that way. That God, wow, your creation, you're so creative and just really praise him for that. And um, so if your earthly father, we're all imperfect, if they sin in a way and they're fathering to you, you can subconsciously think that God may be that way to you as well. For example, let's say your father was a harsh disciplinarian. And the most thing that he, you know, the thing that he cared about most was that you did everything just so, and if you didn't, you were harshly punished. You feel the love there at all when you're being punished. 
you may feel that that's how God's gonna be towards you too. Just kind of like, are you doing that right? Are you, okay, if you're not, then, you know, but it's condemnation from him. Ooh. And that's that. That's the root of that. What about a father who just wants you to follow the rules? And so that's what that's what you did is you just tried to follow his rules, but there was no emotional connection with him. You know, it was like I'm gonna please you because I'm gonna do what you want me to do, but there was no eye contact, there was no um, you know, just heart to heart then you might have a hard time with intimacy with God, but an easy time following his laws and his rules. Um, another, are these examples helpful? Read a few more. Um, if your earthly father didn't keep his word or his promises to you that he'd make to you, it might be hard to trust that God's going to come through with his promises and really follow through as well. If you were abused by your earthly father, it might be hard for you to feel like God, your father, is safe. Or maybe your earthly father was kind of boring to you and you never had any fun with him and you could never really relate to him. So you might kind of just think, yeah, God's great, I'm a Christian, but we don't really have anything in common. We're not close and hang out and stuff. Um, or maybe if your earthly father physically wasn't there, as you were growing up, you may feel that God isn't there for you. Or if he was there, but he ignored you, like he was too busy for you, you could feel that maybe God, your father, is kind of too busy with all these other matters in the world to really care about your heart and what you're experiencing and going through. He doesn't really want to heal that little thing, and he's kind of busy. So these are just a couple examples, and... Kathy is going to share a testimony right now. She has a cool testimony that speaks to this. This is Kathy Wright, Pastor Cameron's wife. Hello, everybody. Um, a couple of months ago, I got to give a little devotional at the Mops group, and I was talking about the fatherless of God, and I gave a kind of a story. I had just realized the dynamic in my life and with God that reflected the dynamic in my life with my dad. Uh, my dad often worked, I loved my dad, and I always felt like I was the apple of his eye. He wasn't very demonstrative, though, day to day on it. And in fact, for many years of my life, he worked second shift, so I'd be at school in the daytime when he was home. And when I came home from school, he'd already be at work, and he wouldn't get home until I got up, or until I went to bed. So there's a lot of, I, I don't know how long that period was. It seemed like a long time, but it might only have been a year or two. But anyway, we would, they brought property up in, Baldwin, Michigan, up north, and uh, we had, it was out in the woods, and just about well, every vacation and many, many weekends, we would all go up there together as a family, and so when we did that, we were all there, and it's like, this is this is family time, we could like, you know, it was the only time we could have pop whenever we wanted without asking, you know, just like, you know, and uh, I had a lot of great times with him, personally, just one-on-one, -on -one, snowmobiling adventures and, and different things, and so... Day to day, I didn't really feel all that connected with my dad. I felt like kind of like we lived separate lives. But on these special times going away, I was like, oh, there's a connection there, and it's really cool. And I realized that in some ways, that's how it's been for me. If I go to a conference or something, or even just going to work, you know, just church service and worship, oh, man, powerful, powerful, powerful connection. It's just really good. We're, we're good. We're, we're together. We're having a good time. 
But then my daily life is like, oh, okay, now I gotta live my life and do my thing. And I, it was just weird, the parallel. And I only just realized that this year, okay, I've been learning about these dynamics since like 1995, I think. And I just continually get new breakthroughs. And I kind of realized too that each breakthrough we get just paves the way for the next breakthrough. It's yeah, not like we true. just stop, we're just gonna be right. all perfect and done. Yeah. And so some of you may have been, you know, working on being one with God and trusting with your father for many years. And it's like, okay, been there, done that. But my personal experience is that there's always more. There's always more, and I just want to testify. love for him to show us if there's any area tonight that is misaligned in our view of him as our father. And um, then when we're filled with truth about him, we can see him for who he really is. And, um, and it's all to be one with someone. Oops, sorry. Oh, it's hard to be one with someone when you don't really know who they really are. That's that's the last point in my talk, and so um, let's just review really quick. The three things are real in being one with God is to realize our place, to listen to His voice and silence the enemies, and to learn what He's truly like as our Father. <clears throat> so what I want to do right now is lead you through a prayer, and then. Forgive me, Father, for any way I've tuned into Satan's voice and not yours. Please forgive me and wash me clean. Thank you, God. I want to give my attention and obedience to your voice. Help me be a warrior.
that he didn't want to bring up in our hearts about him, you know, truth about him as our Heavenly Father, where we may have had misconceptions. So we'll do that in a little while.